Hello and welcome to an inverted primary sources. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is one of those occasions where I get to do the hosting duties on this as we read some letters from a previous fanzine and Rob at this time gets to react to them in real time. He has no idea what's going on. We could go anywhere. Mm. Rob, are you ready for this? Ready as I'll ever be, Dave. So these are, as usual for me, from the local fanzine Sonic Screwdriver and from issue 54 of March 1989. Okay, excellent. So letter number one is from Simon Owens of Chernside Park. Mm -hmm. Time in the Rani I found very enjoyable, although I believe the Rani was much better in the mark of the Rani. Sylvester McCoy was brilliant, although a little eccentric. Mel and her screaming annoyed me. Paradise Towers was, for me, the highlight of the season. It was very well performed and directed, and Sylvester was marvellous. Mel and her screaming annoyed me. (laughs) Delta and the Bannerman was very good, although I missed out on the second episode. Once again, a brilliant piece of acting by Sylvester. Mel and her screaming annoyed me. (laughs) Dragonfire was the show that I looked forward to, i.e. moving on of Mel to make way for a good companion. Ace was fantastic, and of course, so was Sylvester. Mel and her screaming annoyed me. I would also like to mention that Remembrance of the Daleks was a show good enough to make Arnold Schwarzenegger cry himself to sleep. It was fantastically written, directed, and performed. Right. So here we've got a chap who's watched the season 24, the first run of it, which was late 1988, with Remembrance of the Daleks tagged on the end. Yes. He's compiled his thoughts and then they've published it in this 1989 edition, early 89 edition of the, the mag. Yeah. Gosh. Would he have been a member of the club to, he would to, have been. to get this? So he hasn't gone to probably gone to any sort of functions a year or so earlier to watch these. It sounds like he's, this is the first time he's seen them. I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. I see a pattern emerging with Mel. I, I, think, <laughs> I think he made that pretty clear. <laughs> and, and I don't think he was in a minority of fans at the time. No. Had we had a screamer like that, for a, I mean, obviously a lot of companions scream, but her screaming was up there with sort of Victoria level screaming, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely! It was it was loud. I mean, I mean, I mean, my favourite one is the one she does at the end of Dragonfire Part One, where Sophie Aldred's got the hangover, and you can see the pain <laughs> contorting across her face as her body screams next to her. I thought you were going to say the one is it from Vervoids where they got her to scream at the pitch of the sting, so the, the scream and the, the sting or something. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's funny, all these sort of anecdotes we know as fans like this. It's it's probably people listening to this saying, what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) Now I'm thinking back to when I first saw this because I saw it through fan club meetings or parties, as they were called, at Sydney Uni. And I remember not liking Time and the Rani at the time. I remember being quite intrigued by Paradise Towers. Delta was weird, but kind of fun. And Dragonfire was the standout. But what's interesting is, having recently, you know, looked at the Season 24 box set, Dragonfire's really dropped down for me a lot. I watch it and I think, oh, it's great that Sophie's joining, because Sophie's Sophie's great. But as a story, I think, oh, you know, I kind of enjoy Delta more. You know, like, sincerely. I know it's got all the weird stuff in it. And the baby eating the the royal jelly, and then Billy eats the royal jelly, and uh, and all of this, and becomes a spaceman, and all this stuff. It's 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 quite weird. I, I get all that. Yeah. But 
I think it just looks better, like being on location and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I honestly think Delta is my favourite story out of that season now, even though historically it was always Dragonfire, and I do like Sophie very much. It's very weird for me because I feel like in 1987 when I first saw Dragonfire, I was in a very big party with a lot of friends who all thought Dragonfire was the best story. Yeah. And I feel as though it's one of those parties where people just leave a couple of uh, at a time over a long period and suddenly you realize there's you and a couple of other losers there going (laughs) are we the only ones left who still think dragonfire is the best story (laughs) so you you still think it's the best i still think it's the best i think it's um really clever ideas and 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 looks great and a great cast i think it's the one where everything just works and i also think it's the one where you really start to see the cartmel influence come across you can see it pivoting from season 24 to season 25 and what i think we know the mccoy era became mm. yeah see i'd i'd challenge that by saying could you imagine delta with colin in it Ooh, it would be very different yeah yeah i see what, I see, look i see what you mean i mean i mean they've both got that sort of off the wall cartwell stuff there because yeah you've got space tourists going to the 50s yes. and in, in the other you've got a villain who in his spare time runs a freezer center hmm. you know they're, they're, they're both ice world yeah yeah ice world like they're both they're both very wacky out there comic-y type type things which we think of with Cartmel. although i think looking back at mccoy era now delta does stand out as a very sort of one-off thing like could you imagine delta falling in the middle of the four stories of season 26 no no, so <laughs> it, it, it is a, it, like I think that's the only year that Delta could have been made. Yeah, agree on that. Oh, should we go for another one? Yes, let's. Yes. Otherwise, it'll be a short episode. <laughs> this is the longer of the three. Okay. Uh, this is from Greg Dean. Mm. In response to a couple of last issues' letters, first, Carl Breaker, who asks about Daleks and Time Lords being able to fly. The super-advanced Imperial Daleks in Remembrance have obviously been heavily modified by Davros, not only by a paint job and excessive bionics in the Cal Mutant, but also in their motive and weapon systems. Second, I doubt that Time Lords can fly. The Doctor and Romana were simply having a joke at Duggan's expense. This is probably a Douglas Adams throwaway gag. If Time Lords could fly, the Doctor would probably have made use of this faculty. Since he never has, and probably never will, let's assume he can't. Right. <laughs> and third, when does a companion become a companion is more difficult. The only guidelines I can suggest are, one, only beings friendly to the Doctor and motivated by good can be companions. Two, the potential companion must travel with the Doctor for at least six to seven episodes. Ooh. Three, no full-time employee of unit's military, as opposed to its intelligence or scientific branches, may be a companion. This allows for Joe, Harry and Liz, all unit employees, but none of them military. These are very specific criteria. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking what my criteria would be, and I was thinking, well, probably travelling in the in the TARDIS to some degree. But to work backwards, this differentiation between <laughs> unit civilians and the military, that's that's a bit weird. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll let you into a, a, a secret. This was a thread that went on for a couple of issues. Oh, okay, sure. And it really blew up because somebody had said, well, travelling in the TARDIS should be enough, therefore Benton and the Brigadier count, to which somebody then wrote in the next month and said, well, in that case... The cyber leader in Earthshock counts. Oh, so this is... Okay, so this is where they have to be friendly or whatever we were saying earlier. That's right, because if you say, well, travelling in the TARDIS is enough, then, well, hang on, Eldrad travelled in the TARDIS. 
right. Okay. So they got they got to be pals of the Doctor who travel in the TARDIS, not a, not an enemy. Okay. Yes. Uh, this is shaping the letter a bit more for me. Thank you for that. Because <laughs> I was thinking these are very weird criteria to move backwards. Uh, flying. Uh, of course, it's a Douglas Adams throwaway <laughs> funny line. Like, does does that need to be explained? Uh, da, 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 da. And then what was it? Daleks. They've the Imperial Daleks have been updated by Davros. Was that the point he was making at the start? That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I mean, it it had happened in Revelation, surely. So this is the interesting thing. Nobody remembers it happening in Revelation. I've watched Revelation, and I still haven't seen the moment where this Dalek allegedly flies. Okay, to, to rewind, I thought because of when this was written, I thought he was referring to Remembrance of the Daleks and the, the levitating Dalek. Yeah, yeah, no, he is, he is. Right, right, right. Okay, but my point was the Imperial Daleks had come along and been updated by Davros back in Revelation. Yeah, but where do they fly in Revelation? Because some people say they do, and I've yet to, I, I can't find it. Hi everybody, this is Rob here from the future with a super edit. This part of the conversation got very convoluted as we talked about Daleks flying in Revelation. The quick answer is when Natasha and Grigori are trying to escape from that room with the glass Dalek in it. A Dalek does levitate or fly, if you will, and exterminates them. It's very badly directed, very poorly done, I guess because they didn't have the special effects budget to sort of show it. But the Dalek is shown in the top left of screen, sort of shooting down at them, and it is meant to be flying. So when people say, oh, they they uh, you know levitated up the stairs for the first time in Remembrance, no, in Revelation, they are actually meant to be levitating slash flying and all of that, and that's where it appears. So rather than have the big convoluted discussion, we'll keep the episode nice and tight with this uh, edit from the future, as it were. Anyway, back to the episode. I'm just reassured to know that even before Twitter, yes. there were very, very intense fan debates about very, very, very specific things. <laughs> very true. Let's try another one. Yes, let's. From Adrian Molina of South Clayton. Mm-hmm. I was looking through issue 49 of Sonic Screwdriver and I saw a list of scripts that were never televised. Have you got a list of all the scripts that were never televised? From what I've heard of some of the scripts like Operation Werewolf, The Nightmare Fair and Genesis of the Cybermen, they sound good. So why don't they rewrite the scripts fitting in the current Doctor and Companion and televise them? They'd save more time than trying to make up new ones. Some of the scripts sound better than season 24 stories. Well, this makes me think of the the question I've asked ever since uh, season 22, which was, you know, when you had scripts like The Nightmare Fair and such written for it, and then they say, no, 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 let's let's do something all new. And then the scripts were late for Trial of a Time Lord. It's like, why didn't they just stick with what they had? You know, was it really that important to come back with this trial theme? Why, why Eric, Eric, why didn't you get a year ahead by using the scripts you had and maybe start commissioning other scripts then for your next season after that? So that, you know, when you listen to these John Nathan Turner memoirs and things, you know, and he's always saying how the cupboard was bare even though they knew they had to make the show every year I, I, for the life of me i i can't believe how ramshackle the production was at times on doctor who and how they're always you know rushing to finish things when guys you've had all year you know this is coming back well it got a bit funny towards the end but yeah you know what i mean yeah it, it, it baffles me that after an 18 month break they weren't 
more ready to go and and they were floundering to get the third story written mm. uh, you know Pippin Jane Baker wasn't originally part of that trial lineup they tried three or four different stories before they've gone for god's sake Pippin Jane just write us anything yeah because that is a long time to have a break I mean I have a week off work and I think that's a long time <laughs> to, to have a month off and then two months and then three months four months five months six months and, and nothing happening that that just blows my mind how do you do that what what are you doing instead? You know, I, I don't know. Look, absolutely. I, I mean, some of it wouldn't have worked. Um, you know, for example, the, 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 the idea of Singapore location work probably was never going to come off. So so maybe you scrap that one and get Robert Holmes to do something different. And he could have done the Mysterious Planet without the trial stuff. Wasn't the Singapore thing because the Singapore Tourist Board wanted... They were going to give them, like, cheap flights or accommodation or something. Were they involved somehow? I think they, JNT wanted them to be. I don't know oh, how okay. far that got. Right. And, and even something like Mission to Magnus, which if you take the script as it is, or as it was basically left at the time it was cancelled, it's not great. It's got some problems. But given 18 months to say to Philip Martin, have another go, mm. you could make a really good story out of that. Yeah, well, look, he did okay with Vengeance on Varos, so, you know, why not? Absolutely. I've got a fourth letter here. Would you like to hear it? A fourth letter? Oh, yes. This is rare. Let's do it. This is from Mark Smith of South Meringue. <laughs> right. I, I, do I know this person? I think you might. Right. Okay. I write to congratulate you on the recent Cyber Show meeting. It seemed that people were enjoying the screenings of Cyberman stories and Silver Nemesis went down well with the audience. Although I hope you cut down somewhat on the number of videos being shown per meeting as it tends to make people very antisocial. The 25th season was a dramatic improvement on season 24, but I do feel that Silver Nemesis was a bit of an anticlimax. What with the so-called Return of the Brigadier and the real reason why the Doctor left Gallifrey, nowhere to be seen. Instead, we got a Time of Chaos theory or something to that extent. But it still goes to show that JNT can produce good who when he puts his mind to it. Remembrance was just as good as Androzani, and Sylvester makes a good doctor. Hopefully the cancellation, the sacking of Colin at Rambo Baker, and the general chaos of the show is all in the past, and the future looks brighter than ever. Well, he- hello, Mark, if you're listening. That letter has stood up pretty well. Although I've got to say first, what, what's the Rambo reference to Colin? What's that about? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that might have been an in-joke down there no, or something. If it was, I wasn't in on it. Right, okay, gosh. But no, that letter has, has stood up remarkably well. I think Remembrance is a wonderful story still, you know. Is, is it as good as Andrew's? Oh, it's, uh, they're, they're similar goodness. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, split hairs on that. Silver Nemesis, yeah, it didn't really go anywhere. And we'd all sort of seen the story already in Remembrance. But it wasn't, I guess, the end of the series. Although maybe at the point of that meeting, that was a, a Cyberman meeting, was it? Maybe... They weren't going to show the next story or... Yeah, from memory, I think they showed a bunch of Cyberman stories like, you know, very dodgy copies of the Moon Base and the Tenth Planet. Ah. Um, and then showed Silver Nemesis to sort of cap it all off. And then I think there was a later meeting where they showed Greater Show and Happiness Patrol. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a pretty good meeting. I would have enjoyed going to that one myself, being a, being a Cyberman fan. Oh, I can remember going as a, I mean, I would have been about nine, not even nine at this point. And the idea that suddenly you could watch The Tenth Planet 
albeit a very multi-generation, very blurry copy, was was incredibly cool. But what's also interesting for me when we go back to the first letter we had is that we've got in that first letter one fan who's clearly just watching the stories as they go out on the ABC sometime after the BBC. Yeah. And then you've got others who are going along to meetings and watching bootleg copies of Silver Nemesis weeks after they've been shown in the UK. And I think Mark's obviously seen the rest of season 25 as well. And was probably one of about six people in the club to have done so at that stage. Mm. Well, that's why I was saying with that first letter, oh, this this person, they're, they're involved with the club, you know, confirmed because they're, they're getting the, the magazine. But they're seeing stuff like a year after other people would have seen it at the club because that was always the great privilege of being in the Sydney club and obviously being down in there in the Vic club. To get those tapes sent across from the UK, they were like gold. Of course, we were sending them, what, Pertwee and Baker and stuff like that that they thought was gold. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was a fair trade, you know, when, you, when it comes down to it. That was the kind of thing that, that went on in those days. And I'm reminded of that, uh, that documentary. Is it, what, is it Sex, Lies and Videotape? Uh, yes. Is the name of the documentary on one of the, the classic era DVDs. That's a very good piece about tape swapping. And, and indeed, from what I know of Mark, because if people haven't clued on, that's Mark from 42 to Doomsday, he, uh, he would do tape swapping himself with uh, people over in the UK. He talks about that quite a bit on uh, the 42 podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And so there was this sort of two-tier thing. The, the exception, of course, being Remembrance of the Daleks, which was rushed out here in November 1988, and it must have only been a couple of weeks after it was broadcast in the UK that it was broadcast in Australia as, as at the end of the first screening of season 24. Yeah, well, I, again, I always tell that story about being on the afternoon show. It was the week of the anniversary, so I guess... Okay, that makes sense. So when Sylvan Nemesis was going out in the UK, we were seeing Remembrance. That's how close it was. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes sense. And yeah. then other, other tapes sort of came in there because, I mean, thank goodness we did see Remembrance at the end of season 24 because it, it was a big upturn in quality. Well, whilst we can look back at season 24 now and see its strengths, mm. at, at the time, Remembrance was a real like, okay, this is, this is a bit of a godsend. And, and I can remember watching Remembrance go out on a week, you know, four weeknights in a row. I think it was Monday to Thursday that ended up going out. Yeah. And, and, and you know, wanting to get home to see the next episode of Remembrance because I hadn't seen it at the club. It was a, like, I need to know what happens next. You know, who Who is that strange Davros-like voice in the corner? What is the Emperor Dalek? What is mm-hmm. that little girl's deal? Like, it was a really exciting adventure and probably one of the last times I saw who go out that way. What, in a nightly format like In that? a nightly format, having not seen it at a club, because season yeah, 26 yeah. I saw most of at club meetings. Yeah. And, and, and then it was gone. And then it was the gone. And, and, and knew who, for a long time, I was watching Torrance out of the UK ahead of the ABC screenings. Yeah, you're quite right. Isn't that interesting? Huh. Mm. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm glad we had that bonus letter because it was fun to hear from, from Mark. And I, I think there was some interesting stuff teased out there. It was, and um, look, Mark, we'll um, we'll see in future issues whether the future of Doctor Who really was as bright as you thought it was, and J&T was doing as good a job as you said he was in 1989. What could possibly go wrong? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that, and uh, look, I'll see you in a couple of episodes' time. All right, then. See you then, Dave. Bye. Bye. Bye.